St. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 43. <clears throat> and I mentioned that this is going to be my favorite, personal favorite. I would have to say my personal favorite sermon that I've spoken. And there's different ones. People were coming out to me throughout the week and saying, I think I know which one it is. A lot of people have the drink team. I really like that sermon. I preach it wherever I go. Others said, uh, I heard a sermon called Ben There Done That, B-E-N, Beniah. And Beniah is my favorite character because, besides Christ in the Word of God. <clears throat> and they brought out different, different types of sermons they felt might be my favorite. But this is my favorite. Personal. I really like Beniah. But this personally, and I think you'll see throughout the course of this sermon why this is my personal sermon that I like the best. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43, reads as such. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. They were homeboys, okay? Same neighborhood. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. They finally nailed it down to who it really was, who was going to be the Messiah. Nazareth, see, these guys were schooled. They understood what was being said here. In other words, this is quite a statement. They said, we have found the Messiah that they've been waiting for for thousands and thousands of years. So this is quite a statement when Philip tells Nathaniel that, his brother. Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, here is an Israelite, a true Israelite, in whom there is no guile. How do you know, know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree. Father, I pray you have your way here tonight. Let your word go forth and let it produce the fruit you want it to. And we honor you, we bless you in your name. Amen. Maybe seated. This tape, I believe, will be, we're taping it right now in that it'll be a four-part uh, tape that we're going to be having, a, a, making a series on four favorite sermons that I have uh, put together. And so, uh, you know, I hopefully I'll be able to take it different places. But again, this is my all-time favorite sermon. Now, my son and I have a, have a thing, okay, that only he and I know about. We can be in a crowd. And then right away we know. See, when I was a little kid growing up in Bethesda, hallelujah, uh, in my hometown, Santa Paula, wherever that is, uh, the, you know, the old timers, we used to call them the pachucos. They had this kind of a whistle. You know, and so... Uh, 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 you know, Stephen and I, we, we, we've always had it. As a matter of fact, since he was a baby, I called him Holmes. One time we went over to a fellow pastor who was pastoring in another city. We used to have fellowship with, uh, with them. And Stephen went to the front door. He was smaller then. He went to the front door to the pastor's house. He opened the door. He knocks at the door. The, the pastor's daughter sees him, opens the door and says, Daddy, Holmes is here. 
I don't know if my wife recollects that. That was in Fresno. She, Daddy Holmes. That's, she thought his name was Holmes. Uh, we've, we've had this thing. And so whenever we're in a, in a big crowd, we can be in Disneyland, we can be in church, whatever. You know, I've heard it a few times that it hasn't been him. But by and large, you know, 99.9% of the time it's been him. Or, or, it's, or else it's me. And we know, oh, dad's around. My, my kid's here. Someone's around. So I just turn around automatically. Okay, because there's something between he and I. Now, this sermon here, I guess if I would have been able to, I, I, I have given this title of my sermon, and I think it's one of the best titles God has ever given me as well. I almost entitled it, but I couldn't. Because <clears throat> I, I can't print. Can't print out. <laughs> uh, but I have entitled this sermon, Figured Out. While you were under the fig tree, oh my God, hallelujah, somebody's praying, huh? I saw you. I had you figured out. That's why this is personally, this is my favorite sermon of all time. Because uh, it's a personal sermon. Tonight, tonight, don't even think about who's sitting next to you. It's between you and the Lord. Because God's a personal God. He's one-on-one. -on -one, and he's got you figured out. When you were under your personal fig tree, he saw you. He knew your name. See, God, I would call him the great detector. He has a way of seeing and detecting things that the normal eye cannot see. People cannot really see at all. Uh, he detected, the Bible says, a, a, you know, a, a, a little hallelujah on earth through Noah's family years ago. When God was going to destroy the earth, God heard a little hallelujah come from the family of Noah. The Bible says God spared that family because he detected something spiritual on the earth. He was going to destroy the entire earth. Can you imagine? It was over. God repented. The Bible says he'd even made man. He was about to destroy the whole world when he heard a little hallelujah deep in the heart of somebody. Just like with us. God would say, oh my God, these people will never change. It's going to... But then he heard a little hallelujah. Uh-oh. Uh Who said that? Gabriel. Michael, did you hear a hallelujah? No, yes, I heard it. You got to listen with God's ears. Thank God that he does. Uh, myself as well. When I've been clean almost 28 years. and 28 years ago, I mean, they had a saying, what's an addict? But God detected a little hallelujah. God knew. Uh, thank God for a hallelujah that was heard in New York City. Uh, through David Wilkerson, Nicky Cruz, you know, Sonny Argonzoni. And, you know, the rest is being history now. That God can raise up a people that were not a people. Uh, God is a great detector. Some of you here tonight, uh, maybe on the outside, to the normal eye, <coughs> your life seems to be pretty good, like you have it together. But God can detect different. Uh, maybe you're barely hanging on. God knows. And tonight's your night. Others of you, maybe you're here today, and to others of you, and even to yourself, you seem to be all right. Uh, but God knows. Even if you think you have it all together. See, God's sight is insight. Not outside, insight. God looks at the inner man. So when God sees something, he has insight into our lives. He knows your hurts. He knows your doubts. He knows your questions, your inner needs. He knows them. 
But it was with me and it was with Noah. It was with Nathaniel. He also knows your potential. He sees, my friend, the deep need inside of your life that only he can feed. He knows the hunger you have inside that nobody else can meet that need other than him. Just Jesus. Now, it says there in 1 John, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. See, these were more than words. Uh, <clears throat> these, are, these are words more than meets the ear. Say with me now. These are words that more than meets the ear. They were not just common ordinary words just brought, sent out of the master's lips. <clears throat> they came from the heart. He knew what he was saying. Uh, and Nathaniel knew that. And that's the reason why right away he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says it right away. That's what it says in the Bible. He knew. Nobody else could know but you. What goes on under the fig tree. Uh, see, when Jesus said these words to Nathaniel, they were personal words. They were said and they were received in a manner that only God and Nathaniel could understand. Only Nathaniel and God could detect the significance of those words. <clears throat> like nobody other here on earth. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Who told him? How did he know? He's been reading my mail. Uh, he's a fly in, in my wall. He's a fly in the fig tree. Uh, God knows. See, something profound between only God and Nathaniel was going on under the fig tree. There was something going on there. See, Nathaniel, he would often get away from the maddening crowd. He would often retire many times to the, the shade of the constellation found under the fig tree. <clears throat> Maybe he'd call it the spot. You, you got a spot that you go and retire to, go and get away to? Just between you and God. Uh, that's what was happening here. Nathaniel had a spot that he'd get away from the maddening crowd. It was his fig tree. That's where he would go. Uh, where he'd go in a place of prayer and meditation. Now, if we take time to examine the type of life that Nathaniel must have led, we can easily come up with a conclusion that there were a lot of hurts and injustices and despondencies and unanswered questions in his life. Are you with me? If you examine, if you, you, he had to have had you know, a lot of unanswered questions. Why this? How come that? <coughs> you know, man, I might not even be able to get to see my other birthday because the war could be, there could be a war and my life could be destroyed. I don't get to be a preacher like Pastor Steve. He did. Uh, man. And if you're single, hallelujah, you answer that one. <coughs> man, I won't be able to get married like Pastor Steve. He did. Uh, depression and loneliness. No doubt, my friend, they, you know, they comprised a lot of his days and his nights. They tried to invade his mental state, this loneliness and depression and wondering what life was all about, all these questions. He, like somebody that I knew real good many years ago, me, he no doubt looked to the world and the world showed him no promise, none at all, no hope. 
You ever heard my testimony? I say that. I looked to the world and the world showed me no promise. So may as well go fixed. May as well get loaded. <clears throat> no hope. Uh, I mean, I was brought up in the days under, you know, a racially divided society. Very, very much so. I'll, I'll never forget. And I think I've told you this before because I preached a sermon here before. Uh, it's like a deja vu. But I remember, there's a guy by the name of Adam Clayton Powell. I never know this until I was watching KQED a few years ago. That a man by the name of Adam Clayton Powell, we owe a lot to that man. Uh, can I love history, man. I, 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 I love the Bible, I love the Word of God, but I, I love history. And a few years ago, I was watching KQED and the History Channel somewhat, and they showed a, a thing about this guy. He was one of the black, first black congressmen ever in all of America, if not the first. I think it was number one or number two. And this guy, he was going, he was trying to, trying to get, uh, 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 you know, segregation. <coughs> he was trying to get segregation away from and integration into the schools. And I, man, you know, if I'm looking at this, this, this uh, TV uh, co commentary going on, and I'm really taken in by it because I didn't know. But he fought in the late 40s, early 50s, trying to get that thing, you know, uh, passed. Finally, I think it was about 1957. You know, you know after almost 10 years of fighting in, in, in the Congress and the Senate, integration came in. I didn't know nothing about it. All I know is I was going to Barbara Webster School in Santa Paula, California, right on 12th Street. And the next day they say, tomorrow, these many people are going to be going to Tigma Kibbit School. And my name was on the list. Uh, tomorrow, you, you, you start. I didn't know the history behind all this madness. I just was following orders. They weren't into buses yet, though. We had to walk. Uh, <clears throat> that means you had to get up earlier. Because I lived right across the street from the school. Now I had to walk to McKibbin. Oh, my goodness. I'd be late so many times. Every time it rained, I was late. I used to get those little, you know, ice cream sticks, and I'd play with them and follow them all the way. And then I'd be late to school. Uh, <clears throat> but I was brought up during that, during that era. Then the, then the Vietnam War hit later on. Uh, talk about injustice. What is life all about? I remember that. I know what a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old, 19-year-old feels like. Wondering, what is life all about? I've told you that before. I remember I used to sleep in, 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 in churches. Well, outside of churches on the grass. <clears throat> I've told you that before. Because I like churches because the cops didn't come to churches. You know? And that's where I would sleep. And I, I remember being about 17, 18 years old wondering, what is life all about? Little did I know. It was right under my mat. I was in a church. That's really what it was all about, but I didn't know that. Thinking, man, you know, that's the way Nathaniel was. Uh, see, Nathaniel, in chapter 1, verse 47, Jesus said of him, in whom there is no guile. That means you're pure. There is an Israelite, a true Israelite, the Bible says, in whom there is no guile. He had the no guile style kind of a guy, is what he was. Uh, in other words, he was idealistic. That's what it means. Looking for something better. He was a bit naive, really, what it means, too. Because he was, he was not very realistic. He was idealistic. And I can identify with that guy. I said, things got to change. It can't go on like this. 
Why does man have to fight against man? Why can't people just get along, Rodney King? I, I thought about that way before Rodney King. Ah. I mean, I can get along. I'm not prejudiced. Oh, come on. You know, just give me some strawberry cheesecake and a burrito. I'll be all right. We'll be friends. They come over to my house too, Larry. Anybody? Ah. See, Nathaniel, that's what Jesus is telling him. There's no guile. We've got to read between the lines here. He's saying, you're an idealistic guy. You're not a realistic. Realistic people, come on. See, be, be for real, man. Black is black. Brown is brown. White is blue. blue. People, people are prejudiced by and large. No. No, it doesn't have to be like that. It can't be like that. Somebody's got to make a difference here. Uh, but no doubt, the politics and the people of his era, of his time, even the religion of his day had not done too much and hadn't come through for Nathaniel. During his, even the religion had, had turned him loose. Even the religion had turned him off during his time. So each day he would retire to the fig tree. To the fig tree between him and God. Can't nobody hurt me here. Just me and God. Under the fig tree. Now this is my world. See, Nathaniel was a very delicate, sensitive man. A man in touch with his times. But all that he could foresee for society and for himself was pain and misery. Little or no hope, as I mentioned earlier. Maybe others saw him as, as a strange kind of guy. A moody kind of a guy. But in reality, he was really, you know, he was a real thoughtful kind of a guy. Because he had the betterment of other people in mind rather than himself. Maybe they, thought, maybe they thought he was a dreamer. When in reality, in reality, he was a man with a vision. That's what he was. They looked at him as strange and odd kind of a guy. Look at the thing. He was up in the fig tree. Always by himself. Ah, strange kind of a stranger that he was. Uh, he doesn't want to hang out over here with the fellas. But he really cared about people. Maybe they looked at him like a loner, when in reality, he was really a prayer warrior. Wanted to see things change for the better. He was out there in the fig tree. What a loner. No, 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 no. You guys don't know me. But if you really get to know me, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm created. I'm a creature made of God. Created in the image of God. There's got to be something different. There's got to be something better to life than just all this madness. <clears throat> so, in the case of Nathaniel, he would retire uh, where he could pour his heart out to God, to the fig tree. And God called Nathaniel because Jesus knew there was nothing better, nothing greater Nathaniel could do in all of his life than to work for him. There was nothing better in all of humanity, all of Christianity, than Christianity as a whole. Did you hear what I said? That's why God called him. God set him up. Whether he was thinking there was no hope, thinking there was no, you know, everything was very despondent. What's the use kind of a guy? But God calls him. Now, before we get back to the watchful and perceptive eye of, of the Lord, let's try and examine Nathaniel's condition and his state during his time, okay? Now, why had Nathaniel gotten to such a point and such a place in his life? How did Nathaniel... Uh, how had he grown up to be so despondent? How exactly had, had he gotten there? Well, first of all, 
I think he'd gotten disenchanted and, and, and despondent by the watering down of worship. Okay, if you're taking notes, number one, it's because he was, the worship of his day was watered down. Because he was a religious kind of a guy. Right away when they say, <coughs> we have found the Christ, he says, you're kidding. What good things come out of Nazareth? See, he was very, very into worship. He was into the things of religion, of God. See, the worship of God had become too hard, too rigid, and much too formal for a man like him. He was an idealistic kind of a guy. Huh? See, man, as he often does, had gotten his dirty hands on the act of worship and had tainted and polluted the beautiful act of worshiping Almighty God. The buying and the selling of, of animals at the temple's courts had become commercial rather than spiritual. Just like today. You know, I've often thought, why do these people have to sign with these big, big, you know, uh, 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 you know, these companies and record companies, and why don't they just go and, and, and you know, and then just worship at the church and go out and have street meetings? Uh, but the watering down of worship. Uh, I wonder where Jackie Velasquez goes to church. I'm sure she does, but I hope so. Uh, oh, come on, that's so very important because you've got to be worshiping, you've got to be under somebody. Uh, there, there's, there are certain things that have to be done in Christianity. And if, if not, wow, that's sad. See, the emphasis on how and when and who, and even where one worshipped, had also gotten out of hand. Uh, there were just too many rules and regulations put on God's people regarding worship. That were actually strangling out the very life of worship as God had originally intended it to be. So to Nathaniel, <coughs> even worship had become a bondage. Instead of a blessing that it was supposed to create. Worship was supposed to create, you know, a blessing. It's supposed to be a blessing, not a bondage. And I believe that's what happened when you read the Gospels here during his time. So Nathaniel would rather go off to the fig tree. Then also, despite as he had said it in Nathaniel's life, due to the watering down of service. Not just worship, but also of service. Service to God much like worship to God, had also become a job rather than a joy. It had become a chore rather than a cheer, serving God. Uh, even now today, you know, I'm okay, I'm going to go to Bible college, but, you know, you know how much is it going to pay me? Uh, Chuck, I don't even know how much he's going to get. He's going to get very little. Going to the Philippines. Yeah, he's going to get very little. Uh, moon going rice and Jesus Christ. That's right. Uh, that's like... The, you know, I tell people, hey, brother, come on, man. All the air you can breathe and all the water you can drink, it's on me. Come on. <clears throat> uh, but that's the way people get in, in service to God. Man, all I know, I'm sitting here today and seeing all these people coming and thanking God. And when it comes to finances, money, money don't bother me. You know, because I came in here with nothing. I came in here with a little shopping bag. Everything I got, God, is, is the Lord's. Uh, and he's talking about sacrifice. It would be easy for me. To give everything up. Because I, because I know I can probably get it back. Did it before, I'll do it again. Ah, it doesn't bother me. It belongs to the Lord. Mm. But that's what had happened back in the days. So we hear it become a chore rather than a cheer. Uh, I remember the first time they asked me to become staff in the men's home. Man, I said, okay. What took you, eh? Uh, then 
Head staff. Oh, now I'm head staff. Then assistant director. Oh, assistant director. Uh, never made director because the director stayed too long. He long time. You know, he, was, he was married. I wasn't, you know. And then they asked me to go work in the office with Pastor Sunday and Philip LaCrue and Brother Cal and all these people. And I, I said, let me pray on it. Okay, I'll go. Because Josie was there too. Hallelujah. You know. Uh, all right, all right. So she had a little bit to do with it, getting me to go to work in the office. Hallelujah. Then, then, you know, working with prison ministry director. Okay. Then director of evangelism. Then a pastor. Pa- pastor. Oh, excuse me. Uh, but we never asked how much we're going to get. We used to get like, I think Joseph used to get $10 a week. I used to get $5 at one time. Uh, but hey, it's all because of the Lord. The watering down of service. Uh, see, it's all a joy working for God. Uh, and a cheer. Uh, as, as, as service should be. That's the way I believe. But service in Nathaniel's day had become very burdensome, watered down. It wasn't anything like it was supposed to be, as God had intended and designed it to be. Maybe it was becoming a profession, uh, as, as a lot of people see it today. The little good or service Nathaniel had to offer seemed to be dropping on deaf ears. Because he wanted to be involved in service. But it seemed to be dropping on deaf ears. His no guile style kind of ministry was only hurting him rather than helping him. Stay with me now here. <clears throat> the style that he had, he was an idealistic. He, he didn't care how much he made. He, but his style, his no guile style, was only hurting him in ministry more than helping him. Maybe he should be a realist like, like other people and not be so idealistic. Maybe he should become a realistic, he thought. When he could be out doing something for God with a pure heart and a motive. It seemed as to no effect. And the ones who were, had their own agenda seemed to be getting ahead. They seemed to be the ones that were getting ahead and getting all the success. The politics of ministry, and that happens. If you're ever going to be involved in ministry, there's politics in, in Christianity. Uh, that's why you've got to guard your heart for out of it are the issues of life. If you're going to get involved in ministry, you're going to get hurt. You know that we, we've had people come to our church, and we've been here, and then I don't know what it is, but I'm just going to be, you know, out, out front here. The people that have directed a women's home, ay, ay, ay. Uh, pray for Lucy. Because we've had, we've had people, oh, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And it's been tough. It's been difficult. The devil hits. I don't know what it is about women, but the devil don't like you guys. Uh, because people that have directed the women's home and all that, after their families get hit, they personally get hit. Some of them get hit out. They, they leave the church and stuff. Um, politics. Uh, I mean, I'm telling you. Uh, people get hurt. You know, before they're out in the world, they were all, yeah, bro, come on, man. And now they become a Christian. Hey, don't talk about me. Please, don't talk about me. Uh, politics. I said it before. Here, I can't teach you. I can't disciple you on politics. I'm not a politician. I'm not good at that. So what's the use, Nathaniel would say? May as well run to the fig tree. Nobody can hurt him there. It's just him and God there. Then thirdly, also, I believe Nathaniel was despondent because God, he had grown tired of waiting. Where is the Messiah? The Messiah is coming. He'd grown tired of waiting. Uh, he was despondent over worship. He was despondent over the service to God. Then, you know, the Bible says, I promise, Jesus is good. The Messiah is going to be coming. 
He was tired. It had been thousands of years, 4,000 years since the Messiah had been prophesied over that he was going to be coming. Uh, did you know that waiting can get more tiring, more tiresome than actually working? Waiting. Uh, right, right? Some of the girls told me, yeah, yeah, I'd like to be out there working right now. No, you sit and wait. Hallelujah. You work in the home. Because it, it can be more tiring just waiting. And Nathaniel, uh, like the rest of the Israelites of his day, were getting tired and weary of waiting. And remember, waiting can become more tiresome than working. I don't know how many of you have ever been in jail, but I know there's a few of you here. And they have a thing that they call in jail. <coughs> you know, they put you in the tanks. And you wait there. You wait there for, you know, the, the waiting room. They're waiting, you know, just, you know, their cell. Dead time. They call it dead time. Uh, and you're just waiting to get sentenced so you can become a trustee. And what's a trustee? They're just using you. You're going to go work in the, uh, they call it the honor farm. <laughs> but we go for it. The honor farm, yeah, yeah, you know. But we do, we, we go for it. Why? Because I'd rather be out there. Hey, you stay here, Steve, in the tanks. I'm going to go work, eh? I'm going to do TM. I'm going to go, I'm going to just go work. Ah. Because it can be so tiresome. Just wait. Ever, ever been outside a doctor's office? Or in the hospital? Again, they call it the, the waiting room. Ah. You're sitting there. You know, just, uh, we'll, be right, we'll, be, we'll be right with you, Mr. Pineda. Just have a seat. Man, you, you wish you were in there with a doctor. Spatula, I'll give you a spatula. You know, scissors, I'll give you scissors. You know, just give me a mask. Oh, I want to be in there. Come on, I want to see. Uh, because it can be so tiresome just waiting. Waiting. Uh, it's hard. Uh, it's straining. Man, that, that's what was happening here uh, with Nathaniel. But then one day, one day, in the middle, in the midst of Nathaniel's poor excuse for a chivalrous and glamorous life, Philip uh, comes and brings him to Jesus. And just like the prodigal son, he comes on back. Huh? And Jesus himself tells him, <clears throat> when you were under the fig tree, all tired, all weary, doubting, disgusted, burned out with life, ready to just call it quits, I saw you, Nathaniel. I was with you all the time. I saw you. One day, out of his poor excuse for a chivalrous, glamorous life, the waiting pays off. Philip says, the, the, the Messiah, we have found him. The one we've all been waiting for. And he's thinking, nah. Then all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. And he tells him, ah, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. You. Hey, oh, and by the way, between me and you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, when God sees us, he does more than just see us. It's more than a, 
glance. It's a glare. It's a stare. See, what God was really telling him is, he was telling him more than I saw you. He was, just, he was saying, I understood you. I know what you were going through. Man, who told him? It was just between God and I. Ah. Who, who told him there? But he, like I said, he was telling him, I understood you. When nobody else understood you, Nathaniel, I did. I heard your questions, and I could answer them. I not only saw you, I heard you. I heard your heart. I heard your heart. Maybe I didn't hear your voice, but I heard your heart. See, God understood that Nathaniel was what he was going through. That's the type of God that we have. Like what you're going through here tonight, God understands. He knows. See, the majority of us have sight, but few of us have insight. To many and most people, all of you, like I said, you look pretty good and okay here today. But to the trained spiritual eye, many and most of you have some heavy spiritual needs. Yeah, you do. And many people are seers, but few are perceivers. Few are perceivers. Many can see, but few can perceive. When Jesus saw Nathaniel, he did more than look right at him. He righteously understood him. The Bible says in Hebrews regarding Jesus that he is a high priest who's always touched by reason of our infirmities, of our hurts, of our hang-ups. And God understands the heart of man. He has what we call empathy. God understands us. So then, that is when God sees us. When we're at our own appointed, designated fig tree. When we're all alone and down and feeling like nobody cares or nobody understands us, God knows. When we look out to the world and the rest of society and all we see is gloom and vanity, no. That's when God sees us. When he knows that he alone can come in and remedy all the ills and the hurts in our hearts if we but let him. Uh, let me round this sermon here to a close. Okay, now. Right now, only those of you that even know a little bit about electricity can understand what I'm saying. We'll understand. Years ago, <clears throat> we used to have our offices over on, on uh, we, we had a church there. That we, it wasn't our church. They wanted us to buy it, but we didn't buy it because it they wanted us to do a lot of re renovation. What was the name of that street? Right, the Birch. Birch, Birch and Grove. And, and, you know, at nighttime... Especially during, you know, when it gets dark early. And then during church. One of the outside lights going to the parking lot was not, it was, it was, it was always dark there. <coughs> We'd come out and be dark. You know, and I, I used to think, man, man, you know, these, for the ladies having to walk out there and, and run to their cars. You could hear the high heels, you know. <laughs> one day, one day, I came out. And the light was on. And I said, wow. So the next day I go and I talk to the pastor. And I asked him, you know, what happened? We tried to get this thing. It wouldn't work. We had it. He said, oh, no, 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 no. He says, we have this older gentleman <coughs> who understands quite a bit about electricity. And what he did the other day, he went and he spent a lot of time, but he got it to work. Because there was still life in that circuit. But nobody else knew it but him.
He detected a little bit of life. And he got it to work. Because he knew electricity. The same thing with us. When everybody else threw us for a shine. When everybody else said, nah. Look at how many times he's gone back to the world. Look at how many times he's, he'll, he'll never change. God's the great electrician. That's why I have a saying behind the sermon here. As long as you're breathing, there's hope. Because God can detect it. That's why you're not, you haven't passed away. God still has a plan for your life. God still, you know, there's a reason and a purpose for your, for your being. That's the way God is. When per other, perhaps other people look at us from without. And they really cannot see much promise in us. God can. He's the great detector of spiritual life. God can spot the electricity and the spirituality that's in us. That are the things that we don't have. Because we're so good at putting up fronts. I don't need God. I'm alright. You ever heard that? Sure you have. Man, God's for sissies. God's for churches for, for other people, not for me. I'll never forget the first rally I had in my hometown, Santa Paula, California. I remember I wanted to have a rally there, and I was past, running, going with Pastor Sonny to, to uh, Victorville. And I'm telling Pastor Sonny, you know what, Sonny, man? It's, my, my neighborhood needs a rally. It'd be good if we could send a choir and, and can, you know, have people come. Sonny, why don't you speak? And he goes, you know what? Uh, we should have a rally. We'll put one on. He says, but you speak. Huh? He says, yeah, you speak. Ready? Yeah, you speak. I'll, I'll send the choir, the victory voices, and we'll do it. We'll hit the streets. And... Okay. Uh, I remember, we, and Sonny came that night. I'll never forget that. Uh, he sat, and it was packed. You know, about, place seats about 850. They were all there. Everybody was there. They wanted to see what happened to Steve. Uh, and then other people came up to me and says, you know, some girls came up to me and says, I came, Steve, because... I saw the choir. We had about 40-some people in the choir. They go pictures. I came for the guys. And the guy said, I came for the girls because I saw the picture of the girls, you know. But there was this one guy I had witnessed to. And I was telling him about Jesus. And all. we were out, you know, they're on Main Street. And, and he says, God, there's no God, man. You, hey, hey, Steve, you want to see God? Here's my God. And he raises up his, his, his tongue. And he's got all kinds of balloons underneath it. Hey, heroin. Little my God. Okay, fine. But I'll never forget that night because they had a spotlight on me so I couldn't see. I could barely see the first row and part of the second row. But I didn't know there was 850 people packed out there. I was in the back, I didn't know. When I came out here, I just saw the light and I'm just preaching. And I'll never forget, I made the altar call. And then I heard somebody say, pardon the term, but I don't tell you that, you know, the way people talk. I heard somebody say, Orly Edward, what are you doing going to the front? I say, that was Lupio Escobedo. Hopefully he heard the tape. I remember he said that. He's talking to the guy that had the balloons under his tongue. And I'll never forget what the guy that had the balloons under his tongue that night says. He says, I don't care what you say, Lupe. I ain't going to go to hell, say. 
I'm going to go, Steve. He came forward. Because God detects the inside. God sees what he has for you. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. See, God has a unique way of detecting spiritual life inside of us that other people cannot find. Jesus saw the potential in Nathaniel. He had what I call total recall. And he tells him, when you were under the fig tree. Remember the woman caught in the well? What did Jesus tell her? Oh, she says, I'm going to go home to my husband. Jesus says, you ain't got no husband. Shut up. <clears throat> You're shacking up, eh? That's what he sort of told her. Like, you know, read it. He says, you've had five husbands, but this guy, you're shacking up with him. See, God is a great detector. He'll pull your covers. Uh, he, he, he knows what you're going through. He knows your, 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 your desires. He knows your visions that you have, what you want to do. Ain't no, I'll tell you something. There's no greater purpose. That's why God called Nathaniel to come and be one of the disciples. And God's calling you to a very chivalrous ministry called Victory Outreach. What a ministry. This ministry, don't ever take it for granted what God is. This ministry does a lot for a lot of people. Uh, Paul's sister just came the other day when he graduated. The next day she writes a letter right away to the Ar Argus. Uh, says, hey, Victory Outreach is a great ministry. Only been here once. How do you know? Keep coming. It'll be even better. Hallelujah. Huh? <clears throat> but touch just because one time. One time. Uh, when you were under the fig tree, God saw us. Uh, see, Nathaniel was a lot like me and possibly like you. Wondering under the fig tree, what is life really all about? Question after question that would go unanswered. When suddenly he meets Jesus. And his timidity, his unassuredness, turns into confidence and turns into purpose. Uh, that's what happened with Nathaniel. Because God had him figured out. Like I said, in, in, in my own personal life, that's why I love this sermon so much. I know that I've been trying to dissect and get it here, but this, this sermon really got to me because I was like Nathaniel. I came from a small little town, 12,000 people and, and some more. Pastor Sonny came from New York City, big city. I mean, in my city, God, in my town at that time, there was not too much to do. Sports, I, I love sports. But I always read about history. I was, you know, I didn't know if I was going to get out of my town other than, you know, catching the bus. But not, we didn't have buses. I'm talking about the bus. You know, the bus. Uh, the chain. Uh, and going. That's, that's, that's the only time I ever got out of Dodge. I couldn't even get a right of enter to go to court. <laughs> but God saw something. I travel the world now. Because God saw something. And God sees something in you. I want to conclude with my, this is my favorite sermon. This is my favorite illustration. 
And I want to put it in here. You've heard it before, some of you, but I'm going to put it in here because I want to put it in for the tape. I want it on this tape. Mercy and justice had a meeting. 10 o'clock. At Denny's. Nine forty-five. Justice was there. All decked out, ready. <coughs> Ten o'clock. There he was. Ordered a cup of coffee. Ten fifteen. No mercy. Ten twenty-five. No mercy. Ten thirty. No mercy. Justice was getting irritated, as he should. Very adamant kind of people, those justice people are. 11 o'clock. No mercy. 11.30. Come on, get in the tape. 11.30. Now, Justice was going to leave at 1045, but he just wanted to stay and see. You know how those justice kind of guys are? They want to get even. Uh, 12 o'clock, no mercy. 12.15. Then he sees somebody. He thinks he recognizes them. Getting off. His little hoopty. 